Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is 8 to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. Hello, it's the Creative Pep Talk Podcast with me, Andy J. Miller. I'm a graphic illustrator. You can go check out my work online by just Googling my name and, and clicking on that first website if you want to check it out or see the podcast on my site. You can also listen to this podcast on illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. Illustration Age is this super great illustration website uh, supporting the cause of illustration and spreading uh, awesome inspiration. Um, thank you, Illustration Age, for doing that. Thank you, for Thomas James, uh, for reaching out and making that uh, syndication with Illustration Age happen. I really appreciate it. Okay, so today, let's get started right off the bat. What we're going to talk about, the episode is called Take Off the Governor. Take Off the Governor. Now, if you are like me, I don't know if this is normal, but I grew up in um, western New York, uh, in near Buffalo, and uh, also in Indiana, and I seem to be around a lot of kids that had access to uh, motor vehicles, uh, like four-wheelers and go-karts, and, um, you know, I was the type of kid that uh, my friends would be taking their mountain bikes and building these you know, ramps like Napoleon Dynamite and going off the ramps and doing no hands. I never liked riding a bike with no hands. You know, I wasn't super coordinated in that way. And I just always, every time I tried anything, I always end up getting hurt. And um, I always had these friends, you know, that they have these, uh, they have these, uh, you know, idea they would have these go-karts or these four-wheelers and we'd go to get on them and they'd be like by the way my dad doesn't know but i took off the governor and if you don't know what that means i guess there's this thing where you put um there's a there's a speed limiter on the engine of these things to make it not go too fast because kids are operating them My friends thought you should go ahead and take that off secretly and let it go crazy. And I always hated that idea. In fact, uh, I remember once I was riding a four-wheeler through the woods, uh, through these paths that we'd made. And I got the confidence up and I was like, I'm going to take the governor off my own mind and just go totally crazy on this thing and ride like put the pedal to the metal. And as soon as I did that, I crashed straight straight into a tree and <laughs> and busted my lip. I got my lip caught in my uh, uh, braces and I had to go to the orthodontist to get him get my lip off of my braces. Um, and that just 
furthered the idea that I'm not one of these people that takes the governor off. Uh, and um, that that was my experience. And I, that was what it reminded me of today, this idea of taking the limitations uh, off the self-imposed limitations or the limitations that are imposed by your environment or people around you or what the industry says. And actually, you know, I can see how this episode could be perceived as one of those, uh, is his name Tony Robbins? I can't even remember. He's the guy, he's a motivational speaker or Matt Foley thing like, take the limitations off your mind and experience your dreams dream big big be crazy and i and i don't mean it like that you know i always say that wisdom is uh, the key to wisdom is nuance and i feel like all of the things we're talking about today they're actually practical uh, actionable uh, things that you can do that open up doors that help you uh have a bigger career, a better career, and and be more likely to achieve your own version of success within your career. Uh, it, it sounds very lofty, but I think it's actually very practical. And I think there are so many ways that we put limitations uh, on our on ourselves and keep ourselves from um, having better careers, bigger opportunities. Um, and so that's what today is about. I feel like if you look into the future and you have this thing that I call the arrogance of the untested. You know, when I was in college, I had this thing where it's like you haven't been tested by – your work hasn't been tested by the real world. And it's easy in that place to be arrogant about your ideas and how good you are and all that. And you see that with students from time to time. Then you get out in the real world. It kicks your butt. And you get humble, right? And I think that um, it's easy to look out into the future and have the arrogance to say editorial market's dead or this thing's going to happen or that's going to happen or I'll never really be able to make more than this amount or I'll never be able to do that. And I think it's easy to do that. But I've found that the universe tends to hate that thinking and I never seem to get – I never seem to – have doors open when I have that attitude about something. And I think it's when I have that humility to say, I don't know what the next year is going to look like. And here's some of the things, yeah, I might have goals or hopes or wishes or what I want to see happen. But the times when I'm like, I'm ready to go on the adventure of where this this art is going to take me, where this stuff is going to take me. And I, and I want to actually springboard into bigger things that I can't even think of right now. Jim Kudal of Kudal Partners, it's a design studio. I think they're based in Chicago. He said that, you know, what the problem with goals, especially like long-term goals, are often when you're birthing these goals in your mind, by the time you reach them five years down the road, you're a different person and they're not that satisfying when you when you get to the finish line because the goals that you have then are totally different. And I think part of the idea of that is this idea of limiting yourself and what you think you can do instead of being open to what happens, being uh, optimistic about uh, where the next stage is going to be or what what an illustrator could be, you know, not putting all the limitations on that. So I've got seven points. Here we go. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express. 
the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In the Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In the Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In the Making and Adobe Express for their support. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AnnieJPizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. So, number one, titles as springboards, not cages. Again, back to this anti-extreme thinking. Back, you know, I feel like, just as an example, five years ago, you read a billion articles that said, do what you love, follow your passion, you know, all that stuff, and, and everybody's going crazy for it. And then five years later, I've, re- I've read 15 million articles about, that's, it's not that simple. You can't just follow what you love. You should just do the practical thing. Like, you know, that's what life's about. And I think that both are wrong. I feel like, again, like nuance is the key to wisdom for me, at least. I feel like you got to hold things in relativity. And I feel that often this discussion of what you call yourself, whether it's an illustrator, a designer, a musician, an art director, a creative director, whatever it is, whatever you call yourself, you have these people that split in these extreme opinions, either that you shouldn't even have a title because it limits you and it doesn't mean anything and it's irrelevant, or you have to have a title and it by choosing the perfect title, that's how you open up the door to all of your hopes and dreams. I don't think either of these. I think it's Something you need to use in the right way, and I'll, and I'll explain what I mean by that. But first, I just want to mention uh, Jeff McFetridge is a self-professed graphic designer. He calls himself a graphic designer. I think if you went to look at his work, you'd probably think it was more illustration. Now, in talks, he said that he doesn't know why anybody would call himself an illustrator. And why? Because he feels that that's someone, an illustrator is someone who needs somebody else to give them a job. Whereas graphic designers can make their own projects, they can do these bigger projects, they have more say in the process. And I think maybe that's a misunderstanding of what illustrators are or could be. 
But I see what he's saying, and it kind of reminds me of this idea of actors. You know, actors are the low link in the chain. They have to be given the role. They have to be cast in the movie. They have to have the screenplay given to them. And it's they're dependent on other people. And so, you know, on the set of Freaks and Geeks, Jason Siegel tells a story. He plays Nick in Freaks and Geeks, my favorite character. I was like Nick in high school. And uh, he, he says that um, Jason Siegel says that Judd Apatow told him that, you know, <laughs> something like, you don't have the face of an actor. <laughs> like, you're not going to be given roles, like the big roles. If you want a big career, you need to write your own roles. And I, and I, this stuck with me because Jason Siegel went on to be a writer and a director and an actor, and he would act in his own major pictures. And some of those were really successful. And I think in that same way, he didn't use, he didn't let actor be a cage that held him in. He let it be a springboard for all kinds of different things. Actually, in the world of graphic design, we've had some really awesome examples of this. Using the term graphic design to be a springboard to bigger possibilities than we could imagine. Jim Kudal said um, that he, he's one of the uh, co-owners of Field Notes with Aaron Draplin, and they're both these kind of designer-turned-entrepreneurs. And they saw that design were these people that helped solve other people's problems, helped other people's products be successful. But they had all the same skills to make their own products and make their own products successful. Tina Roth Eisenberg is another one of these people who started as a designer, but she realized she had all of the things necessary um, to make her own products, to make her own companies. And I think it's it's in that way they used the, the term designer to act as a springboard to, to do bigger and better things than people think that they can do. I think it's important to have a good title that puts you in the right place. For instance, if you went to go hire a plumber locally in your area and you searched on Google and a, there was a search that came up and the whole website of this company never mentions plumbing. They call themselves interior water engineers. You don't hire that person because you need a plumber, right? I think the title matters. If you want to do illustration jobs or jobs that illustrators do, you should call yourself an illustrator or mention illustration at least. I think that it can act as a springboard into the future that you want. But I think as soon as you let it determine your path and determine the stuff that you do and keep you from doing bigger things, or you think, oh, an editorial illustrator could never earn more than X amount of dollars a year, and I'm hitting the – or an illustrator could never hire anybody, or an illustrator never does this, or an illustrator never does that. As soon as you start doing that, you're letting it act as a cage. And I think you've got to balance these two things, and you've got to take the limits off that title. So number one was titles as springboards, not cages. Number two, your weaknesses. I'm someone who is very familiar with my weaknesses. You know, as at an early age, I knew I'm not going to fit into a normal job. I, you know, I, I think I've said it on the podcast before, you know, I worked at a movie theater. And they would put me on the till, they'd put me on the cash register, and I would lose money. 
just lose money. And they would count me down. And so many times my boss really liked me, so he didn't give me too much of a hard time. But he'd be like, look, you're $20 short. You're $10 short. You're 75 cents short. You're always short. Or somehow you have more money in here. And, and I just was so bad at it. You know, I was so bad at that money and, and, and forms and, and, and bureaucracy and jumping through hoops. You know, I was always bad at that through school. And I knew when I graduated and I wanted to be a freelance artist that there were all these massive blocks in the way, like doing your own, like figuring out how you're going to get your taxes done or finding your own health care, you know, getting my wife to um, get her visa and move over here to America was a all I knew there was all this bureaucracy in the way. And it was just this giant roadblock. You know, they talk about the archetype of the hero is this common myth that has we've told each other uh throughout history and i one of the ideas with that is that when the hero starts on the journey when luke skywalker starts on his journey he's not prepared to fight darth vader right but he goes on the journey anyway and i think that one of the things that you've got to do you've got to believe that just because you're not just because these weaknesses um, or could hold you back right now doesn't mean that there's not going to be a way that's made in the future that means that your weaknesses are re- irrelevant. You know, uh, there's this marketing guy called uh, Gary Vanderchuk, and, you know, he's not typically – I'm not trying to diss him or anything, but he's not really the guy that I hang around. He's kind of crass and has, and whatever, kind of aggressive, and it's not my – cup of tea in that way, but I think he has a lot of good ideas, and I try not to judge uh, people. I try not to judge where ideas come from because I think going in looking for ideas in interesting places pays off. And I heard him say that you need to stop spending all of this time trying to be something you're not. You need to spend all of this time figuring out who you really are, getting self-aware about your strengths and your weaknesses and pouring into the path that's going to work for you and quit worrying about all the ways you don't measure up into something else. And he said that in America, we're constantly trying to tell people the story of how they can become something that they can't. And he said, for instance, when it comes to entrepreneurs, he doesn't think that you can teach an entrep- teach people to be entrepreneurs. It's that something you are, you aren't. And I tend to fall into the camp of there's some things you can't do. And it makes me think of one of my heroes, Dennis Rodman, which, which is ridiculous. But on the court, right? I think I've told this before. I was telling my friend on the phone. Uh, we were talking about his design business and talking about his strengths and weaknesses. And this idea came up of being the Michael Jordan of something. And I thought, fantastic for Michael Jordan. He got to be the Michael Jordan of basketball, right? He got to be the best of the best of the whole sport, and I, when I think of myself, I know I'm not going to be the Michael Jordan of illustration. Like I, I'm hoping I could be the Michael Jordan of taking simple shapes and breathing weird life and story into them and, and say kind of poetic, silly, big, spiritual, existential things with circles with legs on them, right? I want to be the Michael Jordan of that. That's a small little plot of land, but I feel like I could do that. And I always loved the Dennis Rodman thing, mainly because I can't shoot a ball. 
and I'm pretty good at getting rebounds, though. And I thought, Dennis Rodman, if he was beating himself up all the time about how he can't be a point guard, he can't shoot threes, he, you know, all this stuff, he spent all this time thinking, I'll never be the Michael Jordan of basketball. If he spent all of that time worrying about that, he couldn't have spent time developing and, and pushing his amazing ability to be the best rebounder in the U.S. And that was his role. And when, because he owned that thing and he didn't let his weaknesses stop him from being an, uh, an all-star in the NBA, like he led – he was a piece of the puzzle of leading them to several uh, championships. And I'll be the Dennis Rodman I, I, of illustration. I don't have to be – I'll be the Oprah Dennis Rodman of illustration. I'll take that role. You can't let your weaknesses stop you and you can't spend all of your time worrying about – how you have these things that are going to keep you from where you want to go. Letting those, letting your weaknesses control where you go is a massive way of letting limitations stop you. All right, number three, your peers. Now, I don't live in a uh, massive city. I don't live in you know New York City. I don't live in that in Brooklyn or Portland or whatever. And um, I look at that, and sometimes I'm a little bit jealous by that concentrated group of amazing creative people. And I can see this awesome value that comes from that. Part of me though worries that, um, that it's a battle to not let your peers put limitations on you. You know, I think of this idea of, uh, I could have titled this number three coolness, you know, not letting the people around you determine what's cool and what's not and letting that determine what you end up doing. You know, the people you're around really, really scientifically have a giant impact on who you are. You know, we really do in some ways become the people that we're around. There was a test I heard about on a, a recent episode of Radiolab where they talk about this idea of um, – they did this experiment on rats – and they would tell one group of people that these rats were extremely smart rats, like they passed all the tests much better than anybody else. And then they would tell the other group that comes in that these are the really, really stupid rats. And what they found was kind of shocking, that when the people came in and they thought the rats were brilliant, the rats performed really, really well. When the people came in and they thought the rats were dumb, the, the rats performed really, really badly. I feel like when you are so immersed in peers and colleagues, it is so hard not to let them limit who you are, what you do, the work that you make. I find that having a little bit of distance for that has actually helped me. Um, there were seasons in my life, like in college, where having those peers right next to me and constantly giving me feedback and everything really helped. But I can also see how our work kind of all melded together and got really similar. Now, there are plenty of people out there that can work in a studio next to somebody and be unique and original and not let them, uh, you know, limit what they do. I think for me, often in the past, I've let my insecurities uh, cause me to question what I do when somebody calls me out for something that they think isn't cool or think think isn't working or whatever, even if I liked them. 
And I think the key to this, the key to not letting your peers uh, determine or limit what your original uh, uh, originality and work becomes, I think the key is to have a really strong sense and security in your own personal values as an artist and the, your own vision of what you want and becoming so acquainted with that that you don't let things shake you. I feel like uh, this is a really difficult thing to do. Now, some of you out there can sh- can sit next to somebody all day, and you've got you've got the security and you've got the vision to know uh, when feedback's helpful and when it's hurtful. And we're going to talk about that in the next point. But I I really benefited from kind of going into a place of obscurity for a few years. I lived in a small town. Um, for three years when I moved back to America in 2010, and I felt like in those three years, I got a real sense. I made a bunch of work on my own without a lot of distractions, without a lot of people influencing me, and I felt like I found a confidence in doing my own thing and, 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 and not letting other people determine what that is. Okay, number four, the haters. Sorry. Uh, We talked about – we have a whole episode about haters, and I'm just going to reiterate some of those terms and maybe add some new things that are relevant to this. I feel like early in my career – uh, you know, I think it was the height of the the designer blog trolls, and you know, I just graduated. I had a fresh portfolio. It was a little like it was typically as a student a little bit more derivative than it is now, uh, although I still have influences. And you know, I had a few like two comments on a on a blog that I was featured on. I know you're not supposed to read your reviews or whatever, but that just like massively trashed what I was doing. And it it really did throw me onto a side road that I think took a lot of my time. And I feel like I let it – I let those people limit what I was doing. I let them change what I was doing. I let them cause to – it caused me to shrink and rather than grow. You know, I was recently introduced to this concept of the 80-20 rule, and it's basically this idea that that 20%, no matter what you do, there's always going to be 20% that doesn't work. There's always going to be 20% that hates what you do. Even if you're the best of the best of the best, the best possibility for you is that 20% hate what you do, even if 80% love what you do. The problem with that is, someone pointed out, is that the 20% is usually the loudest. They're usually the one that wants to give the most feedback. I found, again, like knowing your values helps you deal with your peers' input, it especially helps you to know when feedback is constructive or deconstructive. And again, if we want to go back to this idea of extremism, you know, there's some people that are like, ignore the haters, and some people are like, well, you kind of have to listen to feedback sometimes. And I don't think either of these, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you have to understand which feedback is going to be constructive for you and which is going to hurt you. You know, I felt like I, when I, uh, again, when I graduated and I was doing this work that I had had, I ran into a few people that I was looking to, to give me feedback and the stuff that they told me, um, whether they intended to or not is not my, my, my place to judge, but they told me things that really seared and hurt me and put me on paths that my work was never intended to go. 
You know, my work was never going to be uh, hyper-realism. My work was never going to be ultra-conceptual. And, and I let their judgments of it that were not constructive deconstruct and limit what I was doing. And I think, again, this comes back to having a clear understanding of what is your work about? What are you, what are you passionate about? What do you want your work to be? What are your values as an artist? And understanding, the more you have a security in that, the more you're not, you're going to understand when feedback comes in and it's someone trying to put you on their path and feedback comes in and it's someone that's going to push you further on your own path. You know, I see this, I feel like, in the music industry all the time, you know. A lot of my favorite bands, I feel like, uh, you had this time, maybe pre, like, uh, you know, early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, where all these bands are uh, doing this awesome stuff, and it feels very, like, new and, and, and big and important and, and really awesome, and then in 2005, 2006, 2007, you start getting the hip, the rise of the hipsters into mainstream culture. And even the word starts to become ubiquitous, right? And everybody's dissing and, and judging and ironically, you know, pushing this idea of hipster. And I feel like it caused a lot of my favorite bands to become self-critical, to want to detach themselves from this, you know, the copycats that came after the fact and all that. And they started making music that wasn't true to to their band because they they let all of that feedback and that chatter throw them off. And I'm happy to say that some of my favorite bands recently have actually came back from that and they're making that music that they were kind of born to make, that their band was created to make. And I'm just like so pumped that, you know, it usually happens you get off on the side road and then eventually you just realize there's part of your style there's part of your voice there's part of your you know creative destiny that you have you can't control yeah there's part of it you chart yourself but there's part of who you are that's not going to change and you and i think it's important to be true to that so number 4 is the haters uh 5 your goals your goals can limit what you end up doing in your life Here's a, there's that stupid joke. I think most people know it. Here it is. Uh, there's this guy drowning in the ocean and he prays to God to save him. And then this boat comes by and there's three different kinds of boats. They all come by. And every time he says, uh, no, I prayed to God and he's going to save me. I don't need your help. And then he drowns in the ocean. He goes to heaven and he says, God, why didn't you help me? And God's like, I sent three boats. And I, <laughs> and I feel like sometimes that we view our futures and our careers this way. You know, we make a list of the five jobs we want or the five clients we want to work for, the, the types of jobs we want. And when those things don't come in, we ignore all the opportunities. And sometimes you've got to put your blinders on. That's true. Sometimes you've got to have that drive and that focus to push into an area. But sometimes there's this awesome thing happening, but because it's not what you expected, you ignore it. For instance, for this this podcast, this podcast has kind of taken me on a weird journey. You know, I meant to do it as this really small thing where I could just put some ideas out there, but I, it kept growing, and the listeners and subscribers kept growing, and people were sending me messages, and they were excited about it, and it started to open other doors, and I was spending a lot of time trying to develop other pursuits that I've now put on the back burner because I, this thing is 
you know, feels right and it's, and it's working and I'm loving it. And I feel like I was tempted to say, no, I'm working on something else. I don't have time for the podcast. I don't, okay, great. I'm glad people are into it or whatever, but I've got this other stuff that I've already planned on doing. I feel like that you've got to be prepared to sit in that place of being driven and working and, and making waves and be ready to go with the flow or take the big wave when it comes, even if it's one that you didn't expect. You know, recently, uh, one of the listeners sent me a message about this uh, episode of the uh, Paper Wings podcast. And uh, it was a, it's one of the recent ones you can find it, and it's a, a, someone who works in animation. I can't remember her name, but she she talks about this journey of going into animation, you know, wanting to do storyboarding, and then it ended up that died off, and she went into I don't know voice acting, and then she went into this, and then she went into that, and she ended up going through lots of different stages that she never expected, and there were plenty of times where she was being stubborn and saying, oh, "I'm not that, I'm not doing that," and she had to be, she had to get. Uh, open and take the limitations off her goals of what she thought she she wanted and realize there was so much more um, if she was open to it. You know, I've had these goals like I want to work for this client and then a client pretty much exactly the same just with a different name would come along and I would say, no, no thanks. Like I'm waiting for God to save me and I say no to the boat. And I feel like you've got to let – you've got to be open to your career surprising you. Like that's part of the fun. I feel like the universe like loves to like throw a curveball, you know, and I, and I feel like if your attitude is open and you don't have that clenching fist and you have your – instead of everything you're given, just have an open hand with it, that you're, you're going to be uh, much more successful in your creative pursuits. So don't let your goals uh, limit you. Number six, your circumstance. Let me just tell you all the reasons why I shouldn't be able to get the big jobs and I shouldn't be uh, – I shouldn't have even the success that I've already had, you know, um, whatever success that may be. Uh, I'll just tell you. I've got – I'm married young. I've never lived in the, in the major cities. I live in Ohio. Uh, I didn't go to art school. I went to a regular university. I've got plenty of things about my experience. You know, I've got two parents. You know, I was raised by people that don't know anything about art. They don't care about art. None of my siblings do. Um, I, you know, I, I grew up listening to Boys to Men. You know, I've had everything working against me from being uh, a prolific, creative person, someone who gets the big jobs, who competes with the big dogs in this world of illustration. I've got everything going against me, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, right? And, and I think that often you hear these defeated people, these defeated students or, or people, and they say, look, I just can't change this thing that I've got. And it negates me from playing. And I, and you know what? I don't want to devalue the fact that some people do have health problems or, or different issues that do hold them back in certain ways. And I acknowledge that. But I feel like those same people, you know, um, another recent episode of uh, Radio Lab, I think. It, no, it was Invisibilia. They talked about this idea that blindness was, um, was an illusion uh, put on blind people by 
the non-blind. And this idea that um, there's this guy who's famous for riding a bike and he's blind, which he finds is a massive uh, diss to him. But he he can do this clicking thing that helps him kind of see in his mind, kind of like bats do. And he teaches other people how to do it. And he feels like all these um, – this compassion and limitations that people put on the blind actually holds them back. And I feel like it's these ideas, these things that say that negates me from play. The world says that if I – uh, if I'm not single and living in the big city and and go to art school, I can't play the big game. And I found that's not true. And and almost all of those things are not true. You can't focus on the things that you can't change. And then on top of that, you can't believe that everything in your life can't change. I think that some things that we convince ourselves we're stuck here. You know, it, it's just this is the way it's going to be. You know, maybe I'll go to get an MFA in art school. You know, maybe, you know, things can change. Maybe we'll move. I, You know, I, I'm happy where I am. I think we live in an amazing place, and I think that I don't have to live in these big cities. There's actually all these benefits that come from living here. But I think so often you hear people tell themselves stories about why they're eliminated from play by these things that they cannot change. And I think it's so easy to let your circumstance limit where you're going. Number seven, your heroes. I recently heard a quote. Uh, uh, I think it was on Instagram. I saw there's a there's this website called or podcast called Pencil versus Pixel, and um, I I was lucky enough to be interviewed by Caesar on that podcast. It's a really good one. Like big backlog of artist interviews and. The recent one, he had a quote about the fact that you can be inspired by these people that you look up to, but you can't take the same path that they take because everybody's path is different. And you can be inspired by the path, but you can't try to replicate it because your path is going to be different. And I've had this same experience. You know, I heard this great thing by uh, the lead singer of the band Deer Hunter, and he said that uh, in his early days, in the early band, um, they would try to make an album for the bands that quit making albums. They tried to th say, okay, what would the next Pavement album have uh, – how, how would the next Pavement album – what would it sound like? And And they would try to basically make that album or – what their favorite band that you know hasn't made an album in five years, they would say, what would the next album sound like? And I think that early on especially, that's actually a good practice. That's you know To look in, and have those inspirations and, and dive deep into other people's worlds and paths and understand what makes them tick. I think that that's been happening since day one of artists. It's something you've got to do. But at some point, you've got to be open to making different decisions than your heroes would have done. You've got to – I feel like I make decisions a lot where I know my heroes would disapprove, you know, and I feel like you've got to have the confidence in your own path to not let that archetype of what you think success is determine the decisions that you make and limit what you do. 
I feel like so often you're looking at someone else's paper and it's causing you to not make the choices and write the words that you're supposed to write on the paper. Okay, that's all I've got. Let's just, I'm just going to do a little recap for those of you that um, take notes or whatever. You want to have a quick recap. Here it is. Number one, titles as springboards, not cages. So if you call yourself an illustrator, let that be a context for someone to help understand what you do. But don't let it limit the choices you make or, or what that could mean. Make, you can make any of these titles mean something that it's never meant before. Number two, your weaknesses. There are certain weaknesses that you have that are never going to change, but it doesn't mean there's no weakness that you could have that could stop you from doing something that you have in your strengths. Number three, your peers. It's so easy for this idea of what's cool to determine your outcomes or to determine what it is you should be doing, but you shouldn't let what your peers think stop you from what you think and what your values are as an artist. Four, to haters. You can't let people intentionally or unintentionally throw you off your path by, by giving you deconstructive criticism. You have to have a sense of what's going to be helpful and what's not and when people are um, trying to put you on their path instead of doing your own. Number five, your goals. You can't be like that guy in the joke Who's, who prays to be saved and then misses all the boats that come. You've got to be open to be surprised about where, you're, where your career is going to take you. You can't determine every step and, and, and let that limit the places that you go. Number six, your circumstance. You can't let anything eliminate you from play. You know, there's even people out there who, you know, lost their hands tragically and still go on to be artists in different ways. You know, you can't let something, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to be uh, harsh and I don't want to say I understand everybody's circumstance. I know there are circumstances that are tough, but you can't let things disqualify you just because other people say that they disqualify you. And number seven, your heroes. You can't have the same path as your favorite artist. You can't do the same thing. You've got to make your own path. You've got to make your own decisions. Otherwise, it's not interesting. It's not exciting to other people. You, the conclusion of this is when people say editorial's dead, you can't make a living doing that, print's dead, you know, illustration's dead, graphic design is changing, and Prince going to go away and, and all, you know, all that stuff. There's all this talk always telling people this is what the future is going to be. And I feel like when you act on that and you let that limit your idea of where you can go, it's actually you that's holding your career back. And I feel like recently even, you know, I was on the phone. I called a, an illustrator um, buddy of mine and we were having a really great talk about this idea of feeling like you've hit a glass ceiling, you know, when you've – you know, recently I felt like time-wise, I just don't have extra time. And based on the amount of money that someone in my position can make on illustration, I feel like I was maxing out, you know, because illustrators don't hire people or they don't do this or they can't take on bigger projects or whatever it is. And I just found myself believing those lies of limitation, like they're going to, you know, that just because someone hasn't done it before doesn't mean somebody can't do it. It just means – 
it hasn't happened yet. And I think of that same thing with this, um, you know, the, the, the mile runners, you know, it happens over and over where we think that humans have pushed to the max what they're capable of doing. You know, there'll be this unattainable time to run the mile. Nobody's ever done it. Nobody ever could do it. And then somebody does it. And then all of a sudden, everybody can do it. And it's literally, that is like scientifically proven that there are these limitations on our mind that we put on ourselves. And they actually keep us from pursuing uh, bigger and better things. Again, I don't know what – it's a radio lab day, but there's another example of how uh, you know, there was these surfers that were using uh, wave runners or something to, to, to hit these bigger waves than they've ever hit that anybody could do without you know, mechanics or technology. And it was blowing people's minds what they could do when they were you – know, I think they were like tied to these wave runners and doing these waves that nobody's ever done before. But just by o- opening the, up those limitations of their minds, then humans went out on to do these waves without the wave runners. And they said the same example for uh, you know, bands and, and musicians where the computer could do this like perfect timing, you know, perfect uh, beat and, and these sorts of things and, and be this really robotic thing that we didn't think was even possible uh, with humans. But once we opened up our minds to that being possible, even though it was just a computer doing it, that humans went on to do it. And I really do believe that whether you want to look at it as logic or magic, I believe that the, the way that you put limitations on yourself truly does limit what, where you're going to end up in your career. All right. I super appreciate you guys listening and all the feedback. You know, if this isn't, show isn't your thing, that's okay. You don't have to listen. I'm not being harsh, but I know there are people out there who this show is, is helping them, and, and, it, and it's uh, helping me by being able to share this stuff and, and go through all these ideas um, to, with you. And so I really appreciate if. Uh, appreciate you listeners out there. I appreciate all these people who keep buying the do not be afraid poster that I've connected to the creative pep talk. And you know, that's a good way of me being able to justify spending half a day a week or more on this. And I, and I really appreciate that. I appreciate the people that have given donations to the show. If, if you want to do that, there's a button on my blog that says donate and you can do that through PayPal if you don't like doing that or you don't want to do that or you can't do that, don't feel any pressure. It's, I, I'm not doing this show to make money. I have a job doing you know, a freelance career, um, but being able to financially justify spending this time is great for me and great for my family. And so I really appreciate those of you who have reached out and done that. Thank you, Illustration Age, for syndicating the show. Um, and getting this a whole new audience, you can find my podcast at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. You can also find it on my website, andy j millercom slash podcast. You can find it on iTunes. Really appreciate all those awesome reviews you guys have been giving me. I'm told that's how other people find it. That's how the podcast grows. So I really appreciate all you guys doing that. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And until next Thursday. Now, here's a note. My wife is overdue with a baby. (laughs) We've got our third kid. We're basically like Amish now. We've got kids going all over the place. They're outnumbering us. And you know what? Uh, 
I'm loving it. I can't not wait till this. I got a baby girl coming. I'm super excited. And um, if I don't do a podcast next week, that's why. But until I get this next one out, stay pepped up and keep pushing and making stuff. Thank you, guys. Speak soon.